I mean, I'm here with I'm here with my friend Kyle, and he's kind of been a a, a lifelong student, kind of like you. So I thought I might introduce you guys. Yeah, really good show. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I'm Kyle. I don't know. Yeah, Kyle. Are. Do you like uh, Do you like Ernie? Do you like Mr. Kanzler? Like, what do you prefer? Oh, Ernie. Oh my gosh, no, 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 Mr. Stuff. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> I almost didn't even bother to ask, but I wanted to like just uh, yeah, kind of, all like, right, always good to ask. <laughs> and, and you know, just to check my own kind of like read of you, because I've I've heard um, I've heard like some things I've kind of like read. I want to uh, I want definitely want to get your your book as well. It's like you have a pretty incredible story to tell, and. Um, as somebody who is also, I mean, really, genuinely, my life's passion is to pursue these goals and, uh, you know, unlock and tap into the latent potential of all of humanity. Like, uh, I, I'm really interested in pretty much anything you have to say about all of this stuff. So I, I'm not even really sure where to begin. That's kind of the difficult thing for people like us, like where where, where do we start? Like, uh, well, just grab grab something, not to worry where. I mean, when I'm doing like some of the stuff I've been writing, um, it's not organized, you know, yesterday, tomorrow kind of thing. It's just well, I thought about it and wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a kind of how I do it as well. I um, I keep a little. Uh, little journal I call my consciousness codex and you know it's kind of like your little um you know just recording pretty much anything I've ever done like um spiritual practices like observations like interesting symbolisms and all that stuff I I guess one of my first questions for you is when did you come into this sort of uh, disposition, and how, how did that occur? Well, it kind of begins about 35,000 years ago. That's a good answer. <laughs> um, I mean, really, there was an entity back then, a great warrior, who he and his warriors put their swords down and and dug in the earth and built a new type of life. And um, at that time, I was there with them. And um, actually, I was in charge of the, the leader's horse. And which same horse came back into my life, this life. And we proved it one day because um, the, uh, the the warrior was called Ram, Ramtha, and um, so I had this little Arabian stallion, and on the day that he turned one year old, really a little too early to be riding, but I was, I'm lightweight, and we weren't going to do much, and so we, we took him outside of the arena, and just stood him there, unsecured, and um he he let the blanket go on and then he let the saddle go on and he let the bridle go on and no fuss whatsoever. 
which really for a first timer is if you know horses, um, oh, it's yeah. not an e- not an easy moment. Definitely not. <laughs> anyway, um, then I got on him, and I'd had a a gate opened into a, a recently plowed field that was right there, because I figured, well, a plowed field is a better place to land. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> your first ride on a on a horse tends to be short. Anyway, um, so we started up the the farm road. I had 140 acres. Excuse me, 120, and um, um, we came to an intersection, and I wanted to turn left, and he wanted to go straight, and I wanted to turn left. So I I pulled on the left side rein and leaned up to him, and a little Arab, so I could pretty much get to his ear. And I said, Shamir, you remember the Rom? And he turned and looked at me. I mean, for a horse to look back at you, they got to be really serious about it. Anyway, then I leaned up to him, and the the, the round's great sword was called, um, oh, dear, I've forgotten the name. Um, but anyway, um, hmm, well, I flipped back in somewhere. Anyway, I leaned up, and I mentioned the sword, and he looked at me again. And he turned around and walked back into back down the road and into the plowed field that he didn't want to go into before. Hmm. And that told me right then he remembered, you know, he remembered the sword because the Ram had banged him upside the head when he was a little, uh, being a little stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Just the mention of it made him uh, kind of like fall in line. Then. Yeah, yeah the, the, four, the sword's name was Crosan. <clears throat> anyway, um, so that proved to me that I was there in those days. Mm. And um, because I was actually the teacher of the Ram, who then came into this lifetime and... Um, Proceeded to teach what I taught him with some, you know, updates on his own accord, of course. Um, and there's a book out. It's called called Rom. It's a white cover, and you must, if you look for it, get the the one that was made in the very beginning of the publication because it's a, the newer one has been changed. Okay. And um, it's and because I gave. Steve Weinberg, who put the book together, I gave him $200,000, just cash in hand, you know, put all the audio tapes together and, and tell the story. And so he did that. And uh, it's called Sovereignty Press. Sovereignty mm-hmm. Press produced the first one. Ernie, do you, do you anticipate there will be a time where you'll cross paths with the Ram again? I've wondered. I miss him. Um, I mean, uh, well, <laughs> when there were times at the ranch there with him, he'd be up on stage, and he'd look down at me with kind of a silly grin and a wink, and we'd compare our thoughts, and he'd go ahead and tell people. <laughs> and so um, in my time there, I was growing on my own accord, but I was really there at, 
as a subliminal teacher. Mm. You know, kind of just being there. Because people would come up to me and say, can you explain this? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's perfect. I mean, it's one of the bizarre phenomena that happened to me um, listening to you talk about these things. And I've always had a, a, a deep fascination with – I'm, I'm not just convinced. I'm certain we have lost chapters of human history uh, – Hugely advanced civilization, not necessarily oh. all the ways that we are, but oh, definitely, no question about it. Oh yeah, you know, and and uh, I have I have I have memories of that myself. So I I think it's really fascinating to kind of like compare notes with somebody yeah. else that uh that's been in that I guess yeah. mind state, you know. Sure. Um, Sure. Well, you know, you're familiar with what's called the Akashic Record? Of course, yeah, the Akashic Records. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've had a little experience with that. Um, one of the the most amazing experiences of my life, really. Um, I was sitting at my desk one day, and I had a, a tiny book that had been published in the, I think, early 1800s. And it was open on my desk. Next to it was a mimeograph key copy of the Emerald Tablets. And, um, and it's off the Atlantean and all that. Of course. And yeah. um, I saw these words go start on the left side, left page of the little book, cross over the book, continue over all the way across the, the Emerald Tablets. And so I wrote them down real quick before they disappeared, and they were actually written in uh, in phonetics because of, I wouldn't have recognized perhaps the, the original language. Well, I but I knew what it was. I knew it was the formula, um, the prayer, you might say, to prepare yourself to go to the Akashic Record. Hmm. And so... I had friends over in Cairo, where I'd been there before that. They had a, you know, a night in the Great Pyramid, and um, made arrangements. And because I'd been preparing myself for a few months, and then I went over there, and they arranged for me to have the Great Pyramid by myself one night. And you kind of have to know people to get that done. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, especially now. But oh, I, God. I have to say I'm super jealous of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so anyway, uh, and they were they were very, you know, a little bit worried about me because, as they pointed out, and particularly the fellow who was telling me was, he's, he was the curator of the, Cairo Museum. And um, anyway, um, because you can go there, but if you're not accepted, you cannot come back. Because what you do is you leave the body. You leave it behind. And spirit, you go there. And which I did. I I went through the, the, the procedures 
And I have a little carpet that I sit on that was made within sight of the Great Pyramid. And it's so magical. I mean, I have to, I, when I sit on it, my spine has to be exactly on the center. Anyway, um, so I had that in there. And um, I got up when I was ready and lay down in the sarcophagus and gave up the body. And um, anyway, when I came back, I basically floated out of the out of the sarcophagus. I didn't weigh anything. I had just enough traction, just barely enough traction to get across the room to my my backpack and stuff and get loaded down. So that gave me some weight. Um, but um, having been there. Uh, gave me connections in ways that I would would never otherwise have gotten because it it's the it's the record of all thought that ever was so it's a good thing to connect <laughs> mm, absolutely um I've had an experience which I, like I would like to share with you in a moment but my question is I mean if we are going to use the emerald tablets as kind of a uh, a reference point for okay. this kind of experience, you know, those built the Great Pyramid not as a, a tomb, but as a place of initiation. Yeah. And um, that that science, that spiritual science, which is just, you know, it's preposterous to me when people say Khufu built the Great Pyramid. That's ridiculous. Oh, they humbug. <laughs> yeah, they base it on one piece of graffiti up at like a very unaccessible area that's written in hieroglyphics that just says like Khufu. And yeah, well uh, apparently they they have they have openly spoken of it being false. Yeah. It, it's it's starting to come around. It's much, much older than Khufu. Much, much older. Oh and, well um, I, I I maintain it's forty six thousand. Forty six thousand? Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be uh, uh, opposed to that. I mean I just know it's it's certainly, certainly much, much older. And that and the Sphinx. The Sphinx is, you know, a lot more worn down. But, oh, well, um, you know, sure. It, it was underwater at one point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I believe under the left paw of the Sphinx, there's a, there is a, a sort of a hall of records from mm -hmm. the Atlantean times that they don't want to acknowledge. I mean, they've even... They mapped these chambers with, uh, you know, size, seismographs and ground. Uh -huh. and oh, yeah. It has metal and all kinds of crazy things in them. But from my understanding, they haven't really been able to access them, or if they have accessed them, they just haven't talked about it. Because, you know, with Egypt, it's – Egypt is Egypt. All the mm -hmm. the pyramids – and everything like that's a huge part of their narrative, their culture, and they want it to be ascribed to certain times and um, this and that. And there's a lot of uh, fundamentalist, you know, religious views that prohibit it from being, you know, any older than it actually appears to be. But this this machine, this technological machine, I, I wonder is this. You know, when Phil talk, talks about renewing himself in the halls of the Menti and meeting, like, the nine lords down there, 
that um, oversee uh, basically the cycles of humanity, do you think that this is kind of a conduit for the spirit to enter the halls of the mentee? Because that's how Thoth attributes, you know, after he after he learns um, back in Atlantis, you know, he comes to the land of hairy barbarians and basically what is essentially described as a flying saucer, essentially, and lands there and uh, calms them down with the rays of the staff and uses it to access the halls of the Menti and and builds this pyramid um, as a sort of pseudo-technological, pseudo-spiritual device to access this realm. And essentially what you're saying, it sounds like that's what you're saying. You know, you could say the halls of the Menti or you could say the Akashic Records. You could say a lot of things. And they all have very, very similar attributes. Sure. You know, um, would you say that that's kind of what your experience was? My experience while there is not particularly clear, um, but it's been the years since then that a drip here, a drop there um, comes out. And um, there's a, a sense of assurance in so much of what I, I think and talk about. And um, because I have that inherent connection, I think yeah. that's what it really remains as. And, and then, uh, you know, uh, it's a connection that when needed is there. So... Um, Ernie was telling me yesterday that he was really sick earlier in this year. He got like COVID and stuff, and he was quarantining for 56 days. Mm. And you were telling me, Ernie, yesterday that in those 56 days, you, you had like sort of a, a better focus or a better concentration or a better recall. Is that somehow tie, tie into this? Or one of the expressions I use is you're you're building a cathedral which, of course, represents yourself. And it's brick by brick, a mud brick here, a, um, you know, a, a hard rock there, but you're, you're building a cathedral. And so as you go through life, you know, you're adding a piece, adding a piece. You get up there in the flying buttresses and, that, and the whole thing, you know. But... Um, those are those are the pieces of your life that you're experiencing all you know almost on well for folks like us pretty much a daily basis <laughs> indeed <laughs> I would say I had almost definitive contact with the acoustic records. I've had a few um out of body near death experiences uh-huh. um, but that was more geared towards just slipping slightly into a higher dimension and being sent back by light beings, guardians, angels, whatever name you prefer, you know. Sure, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the, there's this one time where I was just like really, really, really deep in meditation. And I felt like I was pulled out of my body. And th- this is... Let me just say this. I, absolutely true. Absolutely what I experienced. I was 
pulled out of my body, but more into my body at the same time. And I could see my DNA. And it was like every codon was representative of an event, of a time, of something of significance. Wow. And I just spiraled down through my DNA, and it went from from the present moment. This is probably back in, I don't know, 2014, 15, something like that. And I just spiraled back down through my DNA through all of these events in history, seeing things that I couldn't even really fully wrap my mind around. It was so much information being pushed into my head all at once. And your explanation of how you you get little, you know, uh, a drop here, a drop there, as far as the Akashic Records go, uh, mm-hmm. all these experiences, that's exactly how it happens to me because it's all up there. But sometimes oh, yeah. things happen that seem so familiar. I'm, I, I've seen this before. So yeah. I went out both ways in my consciousness and looked at how all of the things that have happened previous to me have made me. And then I went, you know, it started to unravel in, in, uh, in both directions simultaneously. So I, I, uh, I'm kind of really fascinated by your explanation of that because I've had a, a similar experience. I wish I, I, I could go to the Great Pyramid and lay down on that sarcophagus in the King's Chamber. I mean, that would be that would be a wild ride. But I really am an active pursuant of all of this all of this knowledge, um, and I think it's latent within every human being. And every human being can tap into it. They just oh yeah try. You know, it's it's like a muscle that if you if you're you know 110 pounds and you've never lifted a weight in your life, you're not going to be able to bench press 425. But if you're a bodybuilder and you work it up and uh, you can you can lift those weights. And this is a a, a psychic a spiritual weight. Uh, it's it's identical, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, because. You have to mature not just the spirit of the the being, but you have to mature the body to carry the electrical co- components. Yeah. And uh, I know um, I uh, um, there, there are things that I can do um, that are definitely not for humans to be able. Hmm. But I surpassed that by quite a bit. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Because you might think in terms of of electrical current that most people walk around with the power of a, you know, of of a, uh, a, maybe a, well, we'll grant them a a D-cell flashlight battery, Mm -hmm. you know. Those are the, they're up a little. Anyway, um, you know, my position is not 120 and 100 amps. Mm-hmm. It's 440, and how many amps does it take to light a, a, a you know, a, a ball field? Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let me ask, is, is there, because um, for somebody who, like, admittedly might might be the more on the D battery side of that spectrum, is there, like, a, a moral obligation um to sort of 
flex that spiritual muscle or like like how do you view people who are so unaware of all of this? Okay. The blip word there, I listen to people talk and there's a you know. And I go back and oh, what was that beep? And um you said moral obligation. Uh huh. You're right on course. So, so every everybody sh- should be. It's important for everybody to tap into this. Well, they should darn well work on it. Mm-hmm. Because right now, like I'm, I've been working all morning with a, a lady who's helping me prepare a document that I'm going to submit soon to be published. And um, you know, it speaks of the moral obligation. Mm. because um, it also, it was written many years ago, but it, you can read between the lines of what's happening right now. Mm. And um, because what's happening now, we are in the in a 16, 18-year um, run of um, two-thirds of the populace are being called out. And so one-third will remain. Now, that one-third are those, as I call them, of true fire, Hmm. like yourself. You are, I would say, you're, you know, an an, an entity of true fire. And, um, but in, in nature, you just look at bears and mooses and any kind of critter you can think of, and... The lady, for instance, she looks around and knows, okay, there's one that's got the power, and that's what I want. Mm. Well, that's what's, that's kind of what's happening as we go into a matriarchy, because the patriarchy is fading away. The people have seen the fallacy. Mm. So we're going into a matriarchy, and it's very obvious. And so... Um, um, the survivors will be those who have the right stuff mm. to survive, and that's a, that's that's kind of the hard line. That's the way it is. And so, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, I, I was just going to say for for like a, a novice, what would be the the best way to to I guess um, to start flexing that that spiritual. Muscle. I guess I don't mean like I don't assume that one day I'm just going to jump right into astral projection, but you know, like, like what what would be like? Very simple. Okay. Um, to begin with, there are things like astral projection and so on, and they're toys. Mm-hmm. So you learn how to do it, and you put it in a box. Go find another. Go learn to do something else. Mm. I mean, um, and because. Um, the big thing is sim- doing whatever it takes to mature your 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 mental, spiritual um, shape, uh, you know, stance, what have you. Um, because um, you know it's a, um, yeah, don't don't be don't be particularly trying to do the magic. Mm. It'll come when it when it's when it when it's needed, mm. and so you learn to mature the brain 
And one of the wonderful things that we did up in Washington there with the ROM, there was the field of endeavor, as I call it. And it was a, I don't know, acre and a half field. We'd be out there with seven or 800 people. And we had made a card that had a, a, a drawing on it of some kind. It could be a dot in the center that represents the, the, the thought that we're going to hold in our, our meditation, as some people call it. I don't. Um, and, um, and we're going to go out into the field blindfold eight, 10, 12 hours holding that vision. And the objective, loosely, is to find the card that somebody has put up on the fence, mm-hmm. facing the out, facing away, of course. But you have to find it. Well, I very seldom found mine, but wow, did I have a good time going to it. <laughs> um, I mean, I, there'd be days out there, I'd be sobbing, crying, laughing, you know, just standing there chuckling like, oh, wow, cool. Um, but the thing is, to mature your ability to maintain conscious um, awareness. And, uh, for instance, one of the things that I have done that, that really calls that one up front, I had a 690B Aero Commander, if you know an aircraft, it's an eight-passenger twin, um, you know, um, gas turbine engines. And um, we were flying from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, to uh, um, just south of Boulder somewhere. And, um, you know, I'm such a nutcase, I could never get a license. But I always had, <laughs> always had very, you know, pilots. And Kelly, oh my gosh, he was the wild ass in a business suit. Oh my God. You'd look at him and say, yes, sir. And then turn around and laugh your socks off. Um, anyway, uh, we're flying along and uh, we're probably at, oh, I don't know, 15,000 or their feet. And, um, so Kelly comes on. I'm sitting co-pilot. He comes on and says, sir, we have the following conditions. Um, there's this huge storm cloud in front of us, monster thing. And um, he said, it's just gone over 32,000 feet, and that exceeds our limit. What do you advise? And I just real quiet, I said, continue. Hmm. And Kelly knew me from a you know, little bit. And the night before, we really set things up because um, my wife and Stepdaughter and Kelly and I were at a at a kind of English pub there by the you know the all, where all the aircraft were, and um, um, they kept wanting me to play darts with them. Well, I finally got up, picked up a dart, threw it exactly in the center, and sat back down. They didn't ask me again. <laughs> <laughs> so we're flying along, and we flew into this cloud, into the storm. I mean, it's a storm that'll rip the wings off almost any airplane. And, but we, I, I was able to hold the weather around the airplane because we saw lightning and slashing rain across the windshield. Um, 
And um, we flew as quiet as if we were in a hangar with the door closed. Mm. And that was for 45 minutes, give or take a few. Um, and uh, finally, Kelly came, comes on and says, Sir, um, if we're going to land, um, we need to start down. And I said, Descend. And we started on down. Mm. And I'm in this real quiet, I mean, I'm really into it. Just being quiet, meaning descend. And um, so we start on down, and then Kelly comes on and says, Sir, uh, airport says there's an opening just above the airport. And if you think about Boulder, there's kind of these rocks out in front of you at that elevation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like 14,000 feet of them. Well, Kelly just dropped the left wing and we fell straight mm. down through the hole. And being a carrier pilot, as he put it when we landed, that he planted it. <laughs> well, <laughs> because crazy. we could just barely see the, the lights on the side of the runway. <laughs> and he slammed that little beauty down and, and, you know, full force back on the props and brought us to a standstill. And then we could see a truck, lights coming, trying to come out to find us. I mean, it was raining so hard, they couldn't even see our landing lights. And finally, the truck came up, turned around, and they said, follow me. So we followed them in and uh, got fairly close to the gate. They almost drowned running from the airplane. <laughs> wow. But the thing is, um, you know, it's, it's being able to hold your your focus at all times under any conditions. That, and um, that's really the that's the objective, because that 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 gives you the the uh, the protection because built into you is so much knowledge um, that when you go into that deep space, it's available. You can kind of uh, build your toys, enjoy them. <laughs> There's all kinds of wonderful things to do, you know, like like one of my one something something that I I've done with with extreme results. Um, this was about coming on three-ish years ago, I guess. Um, I was sitting with a a friend, ex-wife actually, um, who I trusted enough that she'd been back. What well, the Ra married us? There's photos of that. Wow. Anyway. Um, but my, I had a feeling that I had to go on a retro. In other words, I had to go back in time. But I didn't know where I was going. I had no concept of it other than that I'm, if I need to go. And so I lay down on, on the bed at her place, and she sat next to me as my protector because that's supposed to, you know, that's a very important thing to do. And... Um, I, I went through the spiral, I mean, through the tunnel, and where I arrived is one of the dearest moments of my life because I arrived in Sion, France. Sion is high in the mountains above Marseille. And 
I was there at the birth of a son by Mary Magdalene, Jesus' son. Hmm. And she was there also. So also were the Magi that had been at his birth. Hmm. I mean, I, I can't even talk about it without pouring down out of my eyes. But, um, and they, you know, we were there in the room waiting, you know, and it's a small room. And, um, the Magi and, and, and Yeshua Ben Joseph and myself and their, their little girl who was by that time about four because he had been three years old at the time of the, of, of the, 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 you know, on the crosses at, 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 uh, um, I forget the name of the place. Anyway, um, so then the baby was brought to Jesus. A lady came across and I was, had, had his first moments with mommy and it was all wrapped up and, and Jesus came over. I'm standing there with his daughter holding my right hand and standing there with, as he came up to me and he infused into me the light, the, the result of which was I was holding the baby in my left arm. Mm. And he infused and then he was gone. Anyway, I've written about that in one of my writings going down, but, um, you know, so to have, those are the experiences when you when you reach that point of assurance and trust. Trust is one of the really, really, really big ones mm. because um, you know you have to trust your position in the light of all eternity and in in the light of what I refer to as the Christ principle. It's not Christian, per se. It's only a word that represents, I mean, Buddha. You know, when Siddhartha lived his life and became Buddha. Right. And I really relate to Siddhartha because I grew up in in our world much like he did in his mm. as an extremely wealthy mm -hmm. family of, of tremendous power. And... Um, then, like he, you know, he one one day as a young man, he just went to the gate, opened it, and stepped out into a world that he'd never known. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I I did the same thing, mm. and a lot of oh, a lot of stuff like uh, relates that way. So the objective really is to gain the purity of thought. I'll ask the Christ principle and live it in every way that, that there is. Hmm. And um, one of the experiences that I was able to have in the great field of endeavor, because I was, I was there for 15 years. Hmm. And so I had, you know, thousands of hours to work on. And I had been thinking about what would it, you know, what would it be like to 
to gain the ability of absolute love. Mm. In other words, not you know, you you love your girlfriend, you love your your, your hound dog. Well, yeah, mm. damn sure. But do you love the guy that just shot your neighbor? Do mm. you love the thief that destroyed your house? Yes, absolutely. Mm. And um, you know. You, you recognize, you evaluate, and you understand what they are. Um, you know, not to buy into it, but you love them. Right. And so I was standing in the field one day after months and months of working on it. And suddenly I realized I was surrounded by aqueous blue. It was as if I was in the Bahamas under the water. And that was... I was surrounded by absolute love. And so I, I, I coined the, the, the saying that I live, I love. It is the same. Indeed, I am the love that knows not but of love. That's a major challenge. Yeah. And, um, but that's, that's what will, it's up, things like that that will take you on to the new world. And we're building it. It's, it's out there. I've, I've seen it. It's, it's a bit Amish. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Um, but it's a, it's an agro-society. And um, out of necessity, as we were long ago, you know, before mm-hmm. the industrial age. Let's go back to that um, that scene with, as you properly called him, Yeshua ben Joseph. Yeah. Um, uh, my thing is, I was, I was raised to be, you know, my grandfather's replacement as a very conservative pastor. And I read the Bible like four times by the time I was, I was 14, read a bunch of other books a lot more times than that. Had that like, you know, Versus memorized in all the books, like by the time I was three. But my inquisitiveness, like, delved me into further mysteries, which led into Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, which led into high magic and hermeticism and with and everything else. I just, I want, in, in Hinduism, Buddhism, I wanted to understand everything I possibly could. And I've spent my life trying to find that core element of truth. Yeah, you talk about Yeshua the way that you did. I have literally the same affect. Like I, uh, I have intensely emotional experiences, whether they be from dreams, whether they be from past life memories, whether they be from whatever. That I. I can't just disregard. I mean, I can talk about all kinds of tragedies, and while it might hurt my heart, it doesn't, like, physiologically make me weep or cry. But just even, you know, when the first time, um, you know, I ever heard you talk about that, it had a profound emotional impact on me. Oh, yeah. I think that's fascinating. And so, you know, I just out of curiosity, and it doesn't have to be right now, um, 
I would like to open up myself to your psychic feelers, you know, and, uh, and just, you know, see what, see what you get from that. Because to me, when I heard you talk for the first time, you sounded like an old friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know how to I'm, explain it. I'm sure there are those of us who truly are. Yeah, we're well, gathering right. we're gathering now out of the ancient times because this this is the moment of of sort of the, the rising up. Hmm. I hope so. I I I wholeheartedly believe so, Ernie. I really oh yeah. Well, I um I see life really see it. I was talking to a new friend last night. Um, um, actually, uh, there's a little a little cafe here in 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 the village, and um, um, I like to go there and have a margarita or more. And um, <laughs> Um, anyway, I was explaining to her something that, that, cause she's, she's really one of us. <clears throat> and, um, how I see so much, but it is so difficult sometimes that, I, um, I have to do a little extra tequila. Um, you know, I mean, I I drink what's called Hornitos um, Cristalino. It's as it's as clear as water, and it's very very clean. It's agave, of course. I call it ascended agave. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it doesn't hurt my brain. I've, you know, um, and that's very important. Um, it helps me to let go of the world around. And I mean, I I can feel what's happening in Europe and here, and oh gosh, it gets it gets bloody awful sometimes. But you know, it's part of the deal. You know, as a, a master, I have responsibilities, and I'm building the helping to build the the new cathedral, so to speak. I kind of incarnated in this particular meat suit with. I don't know, not not abilities necessarily, but that's part of it too. Just things that most people, you know, either don't know about or don't work towards. And it seemed to me to be completely natural. And I didn't understand until a lot later that it wasn't natural. Yeah. Well, um, I think for one thing... Well, it um, is natural, but I mean, it's it's just not something that everybody comes into equipped with, I guess. Equipped. There's a rip word. Mm-hmm. They they don't have the physical place in the brain to do the job. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very obvious. I talk to people and they it's like um I'm talking in some language that they never heard before. It's very, very, very refreshing for me to hear someone like yourself uh, talk about these things, and it's impossible. I mean, anytime you hear somebody talk, I'm sure you're the same way. You you immediately feel a a, a deep connection to them, right? Oh and, yeah. Um, oh yeah. Because it's 
it's not it's not something that's readily or easily understood by you know the vox populi like it's it's more of a um just a sort of a, a transcendental aspect of somebody's psyche or soul and you know as i said i grew up in a spiritual background no matter how conservative it was it still and i always i always knew there was like creative source but there were things that i had problems with in the bible like the judgment oh. the anger oh. and destruction you know yeah um, well the, the the thing is i suggest that maybe the the bible was written in washington dc <laughs> That's pretty much it. I mean, it's it is definitely a political text, but they let a few nuggets of truth and wisdom get through. That's aha. That's it. Well, and it's an old ruse. the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, it's an old ruse that um, you speak just enough truth to hide all the falsities. That's true. Hmm. I mean, ask any politician, you know. And I speak of the Bible in those terms that. Um, you know, I recognize it and honor it, but it's, I think one way of looking at it, it's written at three levels. And, um, you know, they, those who take it as exact word for word, what they don't understand is it was written back when those words had a little bit different reference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the first things I learned, and, and and that's the kind of church that I grew up in. Um, my grandfather was a pastor, and it wasn't up to interpretation or there's there's no debate. Everything that was presented there was undoubtedly absolute facts that you could not possibly dispute or equivocate to mistranslation because the hand of God steered men through all <laughs> the interpretations. And and it's just, it's so, it's so silly because that was like what got me into Kabbalah and, you know, Jewish mysticism which got me into everything else. It was just the fact that I realized that, well, you know, Judaic people, Hebrews wrote this book. If I don't understand what their cosmology is, what their like theology is. There you go. Then you can't understand the book, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, so, and the more I read into it, the more questions I had. I remember I probably I was probably five years old when I first asked my grandfather, "Where did Cain's wife come from?" Because it sounds like people are created twice in Genesis. Because if you read it, uh, it talks about. The, creation of humans on the sixth day and then God rested on the seventh. Then he makes Adam and Eve out of the dust of the earth and well, Adam out of the dust of the earth Eve out of his rib um, of course because it's patriarchal <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know it, it's just it's, it's the continuing narrative that has so many implications and if you look into Sumerian texts and stuff, it seems to me that it's kind of the whole old school battle of Enki versus Enlil, you know, and, but yeah, Enki, is the serpent. Enki is the, is the, is the friend of man. Enki wants to empower human beings. Yeah, but Enlil is the destroyer. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. You've read Zachariah's kitchen, I take it. Well, that, and I mean, just, I, I, I take everything I read with a grain of salt, but if you're going to 
look at the propagations of these of these mythos, you know. And there's some things I un, I undeniably believe that there was something akin to the the great flood, because oh yeah, every, you know, it's every, very obvious. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you have to kind of try to separate out the dogma and what they were trying to use it for just with the facts. And if you continue with the facts, you see this parallel through multiple different cultures, um, people showing up, you know, eight people, one leader with seven followers that start restarting civilization in Egypt and the Easter Island and Indonesia. Uh, it's all the way around. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, these people had very differing characteristics, even physiologically, than the native peoples there would even understand. I mean, yeah. you know, if you look at Viracocha uh, in, in South America with the Inca, Native Americans don't grow facial hair. But this was a tall white dude with a white beard and blue eyes, and he was like, extra tall, like super tall, with an elongated skull, and was teaching them how to do everything. How would you possibly even be able to fathom facial hair if you never, no one you've ever seen has had a beard? How would that be possible? I mean, there there's elements of truth that run through this to the core, and I think that it has to go back, you know, kind of full circling um, back um, into the Ram thing is the survivors of this catastrophe, especially from what we call Atlantis um, and and Mu and Lemuria, uh, which was before that. That was probably a few thousand years before that. But these survivors went out, even in the Emerald Tablets. I'm sure you know this. Thoth goes out to do this and to instruct the hairy barbarians and in in the ways of magic and wisdom and learning and give them language because that's what we see. We see that people just prop, like crop up out of nowhere with no sort of, uh, you know, trial and error period, no sort of, you know, they started trying to write language. They just pop up out of nowhere in, in Sumer and in, in Turkey, at like Gobekli Tepe, and possibly even older places like Pumapunku and Sacsayhuaman, Easter Island, all over the world, in Indonesia. Uh, and they're always talked about as being tall, uh, red or blonde-haired, kind of giants, with elongated skulls, beards, that come and give man wisdom. And I, you know... At a certain point, you have to stop thinking this is all just a coincidence. And I think that I don't. I'm not sure. You know, even the Nephilim from the Bible, I believe, were based on these individuals. But I think that the that the Old Testament demonized a lot of the actual good characters from the original story. They tended to demonize. Yeah. Yeah. And I have memories memories of a world flooded. I have memories of being there. I have memories of going places. I have memories of 
you know, you know, call them temples, call them megalithic structures, call them whatever you want. I have memories of it. It's not mm-hmm. the same as a dream. I, I've come to it and yeah. without even asking for it, uh-huh. you know, you've got to wonder how much of that could possibly be coincidence because a lot of the memories I've had, whenever I go back and um, kind of see, okay, well, this is where I felt like I was. This is what I saw. And you uh, and I've looked at it. It's been oddly corroborated. And to play the skeptic, you might say, well, maybe you saw it and, you know, uh, surreptitiously implanted that into your subconscious. And I, I just, you know, acted out a play in my own mind. But I just... I can't believe that because I feel so much more. Yeah, well, I, I'm right there with you on that. Um, and actually, the lady I mentioned, is, my ex-wife, um, we have memories together of, of Lemuria and all that. Mm. Um, so we've been coming back around to each other. And we actually, we've been away from each other for 36 years. But we keep showing up here and there, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And then I like she she was living um, about uh, well just about sixty miles from where I am up in the mountains there. Um, and then discovered that I was here and started driving down. So we we became really kind of close again. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know she was married to a guy who. I told her one day that exactly when his, he would depart, and he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, but recently, because um, we then moved all her stuff down here, to put it in storage for a couple months or so, and then she decided that she needed to just go and be herself, you know, mm-hmm. because, um, because she, she was... At, really kind of tired of the having, you know, to deal with someone else that you're responsible for their life or everything because she'd have to care for him for, you know, kind of too long. Mm. And um, so she's gone up to to Salmon, Idaho, and um, we text back and forth a lot. <laughs> um Although I think she found somebody there because she's been real quiet for about three weeks. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, that possibly. I think, well, that's wonderful. I want her to to, to build a new life, mm-hmm. you know, but to build it, um, you know, so that, um, you know, well, that, that um, it's fresh and, and, and free. But she's somebody that she can only 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 grasp a certain amount of this that we know. Hmm. That she really can't go very far into it. Because um, she was with us with the ROM, and um, um, actually one night we were at a some hotel having a big deal with the ROM. And uh, he sent word that we were to go up into the hotel to meet with him. So we went up there and we waited for a while sitting on the couch and 
he came in and pulled up a little ottoman and got leaned forward and got right in her face. And, Woman, know you why your husband built the great ship? <laughs> no. It is to leave you. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. He was so, he was so ferocious. <laughs> <laughs> well, why, why do you think, so you said she doesn't have that great of memory of her past like that. Why do you think that is? Well, she has the memories of then, but the physical presence that she lives in now is, one might say, the soul has designed it for a different modus operandi for the moment. Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm sure that. In the new incarnation, perhaps. Yeah, and I was wondering also, um, Ernie, if I might add, just see what what your thoughts on this are. Uh, I look at our ancient antiquity, as you said earlier, being a very uh, a more matriarchal society. What I would well, like to there, see there, that, there's actually quite there's there's recorded evidence that it had been. Yeah, exactly. And what I'd like to see is like a perfect balance, a perfect harmony. I don't know if you can ever reach it because of you know vibration, the waves, and undulating of nature. But I think part of the thing with people that do have these very awakened memories these and knowledges and experiences of the past, part of it is literally being subjugated just by the conscious field of humanity right now, which is very patriarchal. They don't want to remember that because it's painful. It goes from being something very beautiful, very creative, very spiritual, to something where, you know, by the 1400s, and even before that, we're burning people at the stake for calling them witches. You know, it, it, I think that those people have also had those life streams, those, you know, even if it wasn't them directly, they tap into this energy field of experience, and they know themselves to be something, but at the same time, they don't actualize it because... They know what could happen. Even if it doesn't happen now, they know what could happen yeah. and did happen. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've been totally fascinated with in recent times is how the the really little kids look at me. I mean, in the, you know, kind of two, three, four, five-year-olds. Um, Their eyes light up, don't they? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and um, because they can still feel and see, they haven't been scrubbed yet. But they are the ones of the future. These are the new people because so the values and the so much of the the humanities of now will just will not be there because these new people are coming in. And they are altogether different. And um, like today at the cafe there, there's a, a little, I don't know how old she is, three maybe, maybe thereabouts, but just this funny little girl. And 
comes up and kind of gives makes big smiley faces and then mm-hmm. spins around and runs off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's the owner's awesome. daughter. But what a delightful little entity. Ernie, thank you so much for for talking to us. I, it's been a whole hour. Thank you. Oh, that's I'm that's my day. That's my I I go you know twenty four seven. That's for me. I mean that's that's life. Did you want to? I, I remember uh, yesterday you were telling me that you were working on a, a new book. I was kind of curious if you could tell me more about that and some like more creative works, right? It's called The Ark Is Loading. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it, it'll be um, it'll be something pretty close to 98 pages or so. Um, but it gets into all this kind of thing in the way of who are you really? Like one of the things I say in there is is um, when you look into a mirror, who is looking back at you? Hmm. It gets into the the sensitivities of life and that you can do. Jesus said you could, and he proved it. Hmm. Um, and he, by the way, and I, um, we, I was on the cross to his left. And Gethsemane. Whoa. And it was to me that he said, come unto my father's house. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. And um, I spent years working on it. And I did it. I really did it. I'll tell you the story. It was mostly working in the great field of endeavor where I would go into that deep consciousness And um, little by little, I found myself on a a dirt road in the deep south. It's all representative, of course. But um, and walking down the road, I came to an old, old house with a rusty tin roof and gnarly old rose bushes kind of holding up the fence. I got to the gate. And these are step-by-step, month-by-month. And um, the gate was hanging on one hinge, and I opened it. And day after day, I made my way across the yard and up the creaky old steps and onto the porch and finally to the door. And I pulled open the screen door, and the door within... The main door was open a little bit, and the hand came out and took my arm and pulled me in. Wow. Well, many years later, um, I was living on my boat down in L.A. Harbor. And one, one of the final days that I was there, I made a drawing of a house Hmm. that that represented that house and the Nakes, and then I sold the boat and bought a motor home, which I'm still living in, and went back and long about Georgia, picked up a dear lady friend of mine, and we went on to Georgia. Hmm. And as we were heading across, there was a road that angled off maybe 25 degrees north, and I just knew take that road. 
Mm. Well, it took it took us into Darien, Georgia. And in Darien, Georgia, we found the house that I had designed. Wow. Exactly perfection. Recently restored a hundred year old and we rented it and lived in it for two months. Wow. So I found my way to my father's house and lived that's, in it. That's crazy. Oh, it occurs to me a brain exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, this one takes a bit of energy. Okay. <laughs> so you work up slowly. Um, to begin with, you put your tongue behind your teeth like so that you you couldn't blow out a candle, but you're pushing as hard as you can. You fill your lungs and you push against it. <laughs> and... Um, with all your might. And meanwhile, you've, you've tightened down on the rectal and abdominal muscles so that you're blocking the, the exit that direction. And you very carefully observe the Kundalini rising from your reproductive region. Right up the spine, it's got to stay in the spine. Be very, very careful. And you blow and blow and blow until there isn't any air left. And then at the last, somehow or other, you, you get that last kick. Mm. At, that, at that point, you just hyper-oxygenated the brain. Whoa. It's a, it's a, a way of it. Finding your way into a really lofty place. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to try and, it. Yeah. And um, so you just build up slowly and, uh, like, you know, keep it keep it centered. And, um, you know, you do three or four and rest off and then do six and so on until we, we got to the point where we could, we'd be out there eight, ten, twelve hours. Um, uh, in the field, you all you had to be in motion at all times. Mm. And um, out there in that field, the thing was you have to go beyond the body. In other words, you go to the point of, of exhaustion and keep going until you you surpassed it, and then you can go into the upper realms and stay there. That's interesting. I'll have to try it. Yeah. But there are other things. I mean, like you, you take two candles and try to do it in a big enough room where they don't reflect off of anything. And um, they're wide enough apart so that they're kind of beginning to get where your 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 side vision is using them, mm -hmm. is getting to them. Um, and then... You you stay absolutely quiet, no muscle moving, nothing. You're breathing, of course, the body is working, but you don't blink, you'll spoil it. You don't, you know, nothing. But you you hold your vision and bringing those two candles into the center as one. Mm. But no, and we started doing that, oh my God. We were in an arena building, sitting on the dirt floor, 
and Marina was open into the stables. Can you imagine what might have been a little distracting? Oh, yeah, all the horses. I mean, a fly walking up to your face and you can't blink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, and holding it for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But those are the power things where you get you know, you get to where you're in a situation that's really pretty gnarly, but you can deal with it because you you're zen. Yeah. Huh. Well, Plus thank you so much for for being willing to talk to us for so long. Oh, it makes my day. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Call again soon. Part of me feels like I've been looking for you for a long time. Probably. <laughs> All Actually, right. I'm forming, you know, it's going to be a little while yet, but I'm going to build a, a school, and I'm going to want people with your breadth of of knowledge. In other words, you know, um, you're, you're, you've read deeply and broadly, and I want I want a teacher or teachers, plural, um, to come and, and, um, and, and, you know, broaden the student's Concepts. Honestly, I would be honored that you even would consider me for that. And I, without sounding arrogant or egotistical, I do believe I probably have a lot to offer. Well, clearly you do. Clearly, yes. Well, thank you, Ernie. This has been even better than I could have imagined it would be. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Ernie. Blessings, Rob. Bye-bye.